0: today on the Bill Kelly show on 900 CHML
1: let me bring in a uh, a regular guest the guy we love having here he's in studio today we I think we pulled him over on the side of the road on the way to McMaster. Marvin Ryder from the DeGroote School of Business. I don't know how we yanked you in here today. We so set down a spike be belt clear, on the road now, or something. Is, is it Manziel or Manziel? I always thought his name was Manziel. Well, we, it's always been... Manziel is, is, the, is the one he goes by, I think. Although, you know, he could change it. He you know, guys have changed... I don't know if it changes the spelling. Because you want to change the spelling so people have to buy new shirts exactly. now. Exactly. Uh, Marvin, we heard yesterday that Swoop Airline, which is one of the ultra-low-cost carriers that is flying out of Hamilton Airport, is now expanding its destination list and is going to be adding some American stops, Vegas, Orlando, Fort Lauderdale, Tampa. Uh, This is a bold move on its face. This enhances the opportunities for travelers from here but is it going to work? Because mm-hmm. we have been down this road with this sky before and sure. it has been disaster after disaster, has it not?
2: Yes. So Scott, if you don't mind, I'd just like to pull you back before we zoom right in on this if, if you don't mind. This has been an interesting week for WestJet. So on Tuesday they reported their second quarter results and after 52 consecutive quarters, now if you're not counting that's 13 years of never losing money, they lost money in the second quarter of this year. Uh, part, of that, part of that was due a much higher fuel cost, roughly 33% higher than a year before, but there was also some issues around competitiveness and the looming potential of a, of a strike. And then yesterday, just before the Swoop announcement, we had another bit of, I'm going to call it bad news for WestJet. The announcement was that their flight attendants have been certified to form a union. Uh, And why I say that's bad news is that WestJet really prides itself on its sort of family atmosphere, that the staff make all the difference in the world. We're one big, happy family. Well, if you're a big, happy family, you don't need a union. And so now you've got a situation where you have a pilot's union. It's like
1: one of our old steel companies. how they used to position themselves. Exactly,
2: exactly. Still do, still do for that matter. So uh, we've got a pilot's union that has gone to mediation. Now we're getting a formation of of a, a, a flight attendants union. That isn't good news. But then among all of this came out the news yesterday that Swoop, this is the ultra-low-cost carrier owned by WestJet, had debuted on June 20th, so it's only been around now for about six weeks that they've come out with the announcement that starting October the 11th, I think it is, just a couple of days after Thanksgiving, they're going to start adding flights from Hamilton, also from Edmonton, also from Abbotsford into the United States. And you pick the five destinations, Phoenix, um, uh, Fort Lauderdale, uh... tampa i think it is and orlando and vegas uh, and vegas and uh... so th- you know this is great news if you're thinking about going away for the winter and just to give you a sense of the flight prices uh... these flights are return or not return one way ninety nine dollars or one hundred and twenty dollars very low cost if you t- actually look at the cost of the t- flight take out all the fees some of these flights are only twenty seven dollars <laughs> plus all the fees now your question is it going to work the, the problem in the past of why some of these did not work is they did not have deep pockets There's a competitor in this ultra low cost area called Flair Airlines. And Flair Airlines has had a a, a very rough first year of operation because it just did not have deep pockets. Now look, it's moved 500,000 people. So I can't say that it's in any great deep trouble. But it had a lot of stumbling starts. Well, the difference here, of course, is that Swoop is owned by WestJet. And WestJet is a much bigger entity. WestJet does, for instance, a billion dollars in sales every quarter $4 billion a year. So this is a powerful, strong company. Don't think of it as a little guy anymore. They are a full-fledged, powerful company, and they want this to succeed. And by the way, these flights from Swoop are going to complement something else WestJet is announcing for the fall, which is flights into Europe, so long-haul flights into Europe Hmm. and some other destinations like that. So I'm actually very hopeful they'll get this right. But again, the question remains, can they get people to stop driving to Buffalo, or Niagara, Niagara Falls, New York, and start flying out of Hamilton.
1: Well, they have made that very clear, that that's one of that's their the targets. Goal. They've said that we want to make this the, it, is Hamilton positioned, for, forgetting all the other stuff, because prices, people will always seek out prices, Yes, but forgetting everything else, is Hamilton positioned geographically as an airport that will draw people from around here? Because I don't think it can survive. These flights can't survive if it's just Hamiltonians who are taking right. them. Right. Will so, people come here instead of
2: Buffalo, instead of Toronto, instead of wherever else? Right. So 10 years ago, that was a, a great argument to make because the airport was sort of in the middle of nowhere. Uh, you would remember as being a sports guy that the Blue Jays used to fly out Absolutely. of Hamilton Airport and you'd have nice people. Now I'm going back actually more than 10 years, probably 20 years ago, people like Roberto Alomar trying to catch a flight and getting lost in the fields and stopping at somebody's farm and saying, <laughs> how do I get to that airport? Well, that's not, that's not that airport anymore. We have that wonderful, Highway Six—I'll uh, call it bypass or direct route to the airport. There's been a lot of money put into improving the infrastructure at the airport, um, and people who fly there—if you can get them there once—if you can get them there once, what really attracts them is the idea that I can park my car and I can walk into the airport. My gosh, it's—it's it's so easy to get in and get out. It's just—and same thing with customs and the the uh, inspection lines and all this. Oh my gosh, it's just so easy. The problem is to get that magnet to go the other direction. Right now, everyone's magnet goes towards Pearson, and can we start wooing people in Mississauga, in Oakville, in Burlington, and saying, you've got an alternative now, and will those prices be enough? I actually think the answer is yes, also because they're not just going to put these prices out here and sit back. Swoop is going to be actively promoting this. They've got a message they want to make, and that's going to help. Here's the
1: the other part of this that I wonder about, and that is, I think, again, people will look at the prices, and if you are trying to attract the folks who traditionally have gone to Buffalo, those people are used to going on their website onto Southwest or onto JetBlue or whatever, and finding a flight. I need to go to Fort Lauderdale. There's 10 flights a day that I can choose from. Here, you may have, in some cases, four flights a week, some cases to destinations three, sometimes two. Are people going to be okay with saying, I'll pay ninety nine bucks but i can't go on the day i really want to go i have to go three days later or something or at like the that time
2: or at the time i really want to go exactly as well. exactly yeah that's again that's a really good question It's actually one of the reasons why i tend to fly out of toronto rather than going to buffalo is that when i need to get to a destination international there's always a whatever, plane going yeah i i say well i'd like to i'd like to arrive by noon in los angeles so i need to get a flight early in the morning but your flight is only at that time so there will be some but look again uh we have this wonderful group of people called seniors uh, who are snowbirds want to go south and their time is fairly flexible, so I think that will be an interesting experiment. I think, uh, yeah, especially the, the,
1: if they're going for three months, who cares if you arrive at noon or five o'clock?
2: Right. For that first day, you've got three more months yeah. to make up for it. Uh, so I think that's it's going to be a very interesting experiment. And and the, the, again, that's an interesting question. I can tell you as a marketer that not everyone looks for the lowest price. Uh, Some people look for the best service. Some people look for the points. You know, I've got to earn points on this program or that program. Uh, So there will be different people, but it's going to be an interesting experiment and swoop are the right people to do this. Now I will also tell you this, if they are successful, if this winter is a wonderful success story with these international flights, then the possibility exists that people like Flair or other airlines might also then start to jump on that bandwagon. We've seen basically, I think it was Air Transat that did some uh, charter flights out of an Airport, with some success, um, will this start to attract more? So it's, it becomes a momentum effect. The fact that they, what, what day did they start, June
1: 22, something like June that? June 20th. June 20th. The fact that they're already adding these, do you interpret that as being, this has been a huge success, so let's expand it, or this has not been good enough, we need more destinations to prop this up?
2: Well, actually, let me give you a third interpretation, that this was always part of the grand plan from the beginning. So they launched June 20th with domestic flights just, to, I think, to really – break in the system. It's hard for your listeners to understand just how difficult it is to launch a new airline, even if it is an ultra-low-cost carrier, and make sure you've got everything working, that you've got all the reservations and the flight crews and the ground crews and get it all working. And you don't want to start at your biggest and then have failures and then people go, well, I guess they're not going to work out. You start small and grow. So I think their plan from the beginning was to grow, and by starting in June 20th, they could kick the tires domestically, not really a big need for Florida travel in the month of July and August. Not a lot of people looking to go there. And then as the fall season came upon us, this was all part of their rollout, I think, right from the beginning.
1: Let me switch to something else. So while we have a few more minutes here, uh, I hadn't planned on doing this exactly, but um, you know what? It, yesterday, yep. Apple, mm-hmm. uh, the company that brings you your iPhone and your iPad and your iMac and your i... iExam. iExam, I- exam. Yeah, yeah, that's right, your whatever... Um, they eclipsed the $1 trillion yeah. dollar mark on the stock market, which they are the first American company to do this. And yeah. I've pulled it from me. I'm not going to read all the names, but con- of the world's countries' GDPs. Apple, if you combined all the bottom 50 or 60 countries in the world, their GDPs, Apple's value is greater. than they could literally own half the world if they sold off. How significant is this that a company has passed this mark?
2: So I I get a little worried when people focus on a specific number. It's like you know, if a stock crosses $1,000 or if the stock market crossed 20,000 points. In this case, it's uh, crossing a trillion dollars. To me, it was an inevitability partly because of inflation. Just companies have gotten larger and larger. If you look at the old U.S. Steel back in the day 100 years ago, that was one of the biggest companies in American history at that time it didn't have this kind of a stock value but then of course a $1 dollar of 1900 isn't a $1 dollar in 2018 so i think it was inevitable but i think what it does speak to and i think people need to realize this is that there are companies now that are larger than many governments and and how do you control them how do you regulate them uh, where do they choose to do business some of them are as powerful as countries and i think apple's a great example of this uh, Uh, when we want Apple to do something, or take Amazon, that's another very big company, you don't just go ordering them to do things. You've got to ask politely. You've got to negotiate. There's got to be a type of politics, if you will, that you play with companies just as you do with governments.
1: Somebody pointed out, uh, there was a a piece on the paper today, if you had bought $1,000 worth of Apple shares in 1980 when they had their initial public offering, that
2: $1,000 would now be worth $522,000. That's not a bad investment. It's not a bad investment, but also that speaks to the risk involved. If something can go from a thousand to five twenty two, it can also go from a thousand to zero. Well,
1: what about that? Because there we hear all the time companies are too big to fail. And we've had banks that are too big to fail. We've had investors that are too big to fail. I mean Titanic was too big to fail. It was can Apple fail? Uh, we don't want it to. I don't expect it to. But could Apple actually fail at this point?
2: Well, let me let me say that, in a way, this trillion-dollar valuation does surprise me a little because Apple hasn't hit a big home run no. for about three years. Now, this is nothing against Tim Cook. He, he certainly brought you the next generation of the iPhone, the next generation of the iPad, the next generation it's of the iMac. It's been nudging
1: forward, not leaping forward. Right.
2: And, and the question that the market has had from the beginning is, well, what's your next big home run product? It was supposed to be Apple TV or ITV. That was launched and didn't go anywhere. You Remember the watches, the Apple watches? They can't give them away. Uh, They're not really doing anything for them. So they've got some good solid products, but they aren't coming to the next one. And and it is true that technology companies can be clipped. We've got our own a local story here, of course, with um, BlackBerry up the road that seemed like it was destined to be one of these giants. And look where it is today. It's still with us, but it's obviously a much smaller company. I don't see that happening immediately for Apple, but this is the challenge, whether you're Facebook or your Amazon or your Netflix. You can't just ride on your past. You've got to come out with something else. And if you can't do that, you could fail again. But they do have one thing in their back pocket, and that
1: is, and I didn't realize this until today they actually have almost $300 billion in in cash cash reserves. So even if something terrible were to happen, that'll inoculate you
2: against a whole lot of bad things. Or, Or let's phrase that differently. This is also the Microsoft strategy. They've got $300 billion that they can buy stuff with. So today we think that Facebook is stalling a little bit. Now, how can you stall? But they've only got 2 billion users, and it doesn't look like they're going to get to 7 billion anytime soon. So people are saying, well, maybe Facebook isn't going to rule the world. But Facebook used their cash to buy a company called Instagram, Oh, who knows that? They also went out and bought WhatsApp for so those people who are trying to text, find an alternate way to text. And so this is what they can do. If they can't develop it in-house, Apple can go out and buy some things that might position it well for the next generation.
1: Marvin Ryder from the Degroot School of Business. Always love talking with you. Thanks for coming in today.
2: Fun to watch. You're listening to The Bill Kelly Show Podcast on 900 CHML.
1: Social media. If you are probably like 98%, I'm guessing, of the population now, by this time of day, by 10.09 a.m., you have checked Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or can we throw in your text messages in that category? Maybe, maybe not. Any of the social media categories, you have probably been on to see what's going on. That is what we do now. That is our life. That's our habit. Well, a guy who is a pioneer in the world of internet startups and virtual reality, and he is a philosopher of sorts on technology issues. His name is Jason Lanier. He's out of Silicon Valley. He has written what amounts to a manifesto urging people to quit social media. Give it up, drop it, get rid of it. Let me read a little bit from a piece in the Hamilton Spectator today about what he's talking about. According to Lanier... The social media apparatus has made people into lab rats, placing them under constant surveillance. He believes the process is making people angrier, more isolated, less empathetic, less informed about the world, and less able to support themselves financially, since tech startups often disrupt whole industries, as in the case of Facebook's impact on the traditional media or Ubers on taxis. The story continues. Add to all that... Lanier says this highly tuned behavior modification system is for rent to anyone looking to influence the public. The constant stream of data and the algorithms that tweak subsequent efforts to sway people aren't just used to sell soap, he notes, but to influence politics. Most alarming, he says, as we learned in the recent American election, the Silicon Valley giants sometimes don't even know who their customers are. In Lanier's opinion, the only option is to deprive these tech companies of our data and force them to come up with a better business model. It's the most finely targeted way to resist the inanity of our times. Mark Gordon is a marketing expert. He's a speaker, and he is a social media communicator. He joins us now. Mark, thanks for doing this today. Good morning, Scott. Uh, Whether we are as... um, well written or well thought out as that particular last little bit was uh, we've all at one point those of us who use social media we have all thought this right we've all been down the path where we go I've gotta quit I gotta give this up this is killing me
3: absolutely I've been guilty of it myself and uh, regretfully I think I can speak on a significant portion of, of the population when I say it's likely not gonna happen anytime soon although I think deep down we can all agree it should
1: When you say it should, and again, we come back to this point, Uh, we have seen probably in the last 24 hours, I'm guessing, for everybody almost, we've seen something posted online that gets our blood boiling and it's either about politics or religion or sex or whatever else. Uh, And we say to ourselves, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this to myself? I am purging myself of social media. And then we do that for about 12 minutes until our phone bings or the little number one or two pops up beside the Twitter uh, app and we notice that there's a new posting and we're right back on we cannot this is the problem We cannot pull ourselves away from it
3: No, we can't and the problem is is really it's a it's a, it's a human uh, Physiochemical reaction that's occurring when we're on social media explain uh, that well when we post things Whether it be a family photo or the place we've been or even what we're having for lunch What do we all do within? minutes or even seconds after posting it, we check to see how many likes we've gotten, how many comments we've gotten. And when that happens, we get a little a little shot of serotonin and oxytocin uh, pumping through our brains. It makes us feel good. It makes us feel valued, uh, appreciated, liked. And we like this feeling. And that encourages us to keep posting more stuff. I mean, we're getting approval from people we perhaps don't even know, but it has the same impact as getting approval from parents uh, spouses, loved ones, it doesn't make a difference. We've become so addicted as a society to getting these these superficial hits of serotonin and we're addicted to it. On the flip side, when we look at other people's posts, we're looking for ways to, to make ourselves feel better. We want to know that maybe someone else is home because they're really sick or because they've missed their flight or, you know, anything. Uh, usually what happens, though, is the opposite happens and we realize uh, through simple optics, that everyone seems to be living a much better life than us. We go online and see our friends are all out at the fanciest restaurants and yep. see the latest plays and vacations. And where are we? We're stuck in the office.
1: Yeah, nobody, when, when they post their vacation pictures, they only ever post the ones where the surf is perfect and the sky is blue. No one posts a picture where they've stepped in a pile of dog poop on the way to the beach and they're upset about it.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Uh,
1: but by the the flip side of it is, and I, I, I think you're absolutely right about the serotonin, about the, it's almost Pavlovian that we get that little thing that says, hey, look, we got a little reward for someone liking us. The flip side though, if someone writes a comment that criticizes us, just as much as we're probably overreacting to the good, we overreact to the bad. We take it way too personally when someone who we don't even know says something negative.
3: We tend to, but what's interesting is from a physiochemical reaction, it's essentially the same thing. We're still getting that attention, and it's you know you look at any example where you you have a child who perhaps acts out in a negative way. In many cases, we know they're doing it simply to get attention. It's almost no different. If we post something that we know is going to to raise some eyebrows or get uh, negative feedback, and you end up with an online shouting match with someone you may or may not even know at the very basic level, we're still getting that same feeling. We're still getting that attention that we crave because what social media has done is it's pushed people apart from an interpersonal perspective. If you've ever walked into a restaurant, you'll see how many couples are out on dates (laughs) or a night out, and they're sitting across from each other looking down at each of their phones. It's the
1: antisocial, antisocial
3: no, social media. Uh, yeah. Social
1: media. All right, let me go through because again, the the what we're talking about is this. It's a book, but it's it really again, I think manifesto is probably the right word. Um, from Jason Lanier, who is who's a guy down in Silicon Valley. I want to go through. He's got ten points. We're not going to do all ten. I want to pick a few of these. He's got different chapters, and these are the problems that he is cited with social media and the reasons that he says. We need to quit. Now, let me go through a few of these, and I want to hear your thoughts on these. Um, social media, and I won't use the exact word he uses because I'll get kicked off the air and we'll get in a, a violation here from the CRTC, but social media is making you into a, we'll call, you, we'll call it a jerk.
3: <laughs> okay.
1: Uh, how does that work? Social media is making you basically into a nasty, bad person.
3: Well, social media has allowed all of us to, uh, to say whatever's on our mind uh, although not technically anonymously, we have the protection of being anonymous in the fact that we can insult almost anyone we want, and if we don't want to reply to their comments, we can just walk away. Nobody will come through our front door. Nobody will arrest us. Uh, you know, at the very most, we might lose our job, but those are in extreme cases. But for the most part, it's it's an open forum. So we as a society tend to default to the negative uh, I don't know why it seems to be a, a human trait that uh, you know you'll you'll criticize something before you'll compliment them, mm. and uh, yeah, it, it has. And I think if you look at uh, south of the border, uh, there's many cases through politicians and regular individuals uh, that that's the case. Yeah, it's kind so of I, yeah.
1: it almost seems in some cases like it's the the equivalent of giving someone the finger from the window of your car when they can't really stop or they're not really going to know who you are. You can just drive on and no one's going to know who you were. You just get it off your chest.
3: Very true. Very true.
1: Social media is undermining truth, he argues. I think that one's a pretty easy one to explain.
3: Yeah, you know what? I I think it comes down to uh, one of those things where if you see it and read it um, long enough, you'll start to believe it's true. And What we're also drawn to with social media is associating with people who have similar values and views as we do. So if you have left-wing views or right-wing views, you'll often uh, associate with groups and individuals that share those views that further reinforce your beliefs, whether they be true or not.
1: And also, and I agree, that's 100% true, that you live in an echo chamber, and so you tend to believe, because the people you're around are saying the same things as you, you tend to believe that is the standard, and anyone who veers off of that is either way to the left or way to the right, even though they may not be. But the other part of that is, it also creates at times a gang mentality, because you have someone post something you disagree with, and 40 people afterwards call that person an idiot, you feel emboldened that you must be right and they must be the idiot.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Very well said.
1: Uh, social media, I love this one. Social media is making what you say meaningless.
3: That's interesting. Um, it, it almost contradicts the, the point we just uh, made a second ago, doesn't it? Uh, I, I suppose it makes what you say meaningless in the fact that so many other people are saying so many different things. It's such a constant flow mm. that uh, it's easy to dim- dismiss anything, be it positive, negative, fact, or fiction, or otherwise. Um, yeah. you know, anyone who's opened up their, their Facebook or Twitter feed, you know, you can scroll through dozens of people in, in just mere seconds. And, uh, you know, there's some great ideas and great, uh, great concepts and conversations that we might just miss because we don't find them interesting enough.
1: Yeah. If you don't check in at the right time, 52 different things have been posted since and it's gone. I mean, I, I suppose it would be like trying to have a really in-depth conversation with someone at a concert while the music is playing and everyone's screaming. Yeah. Yeah, and exactly. it's and it's so disposable. That's the other part about it. It's because you send a tweet and it's filtered through. It's gone through so fast. Uh, you know, maybe once in a while one of these things is going to get traction and go viral, whatever else. But more often than not, what you say is just it's there and it's gone in a second. And you know, as opposed to writing a book or saying something meaningful to some, I don't know. It, it's it's an interesting point. Uh, social media is destroying your capacity for empathy.
3: Oh, very true. Very true. Uh, like you said earlier, with the whole gang mentality, uh, it's very easy to, uh, to kind of join in on that. And it's usually a, a negative uh, comment or based around a negative concept rather than a positive. Uh, but in as well, empathy and, and, and sympathy and emotions like that usually require a fair amount of thought. You know, you'll read about a situation, and, and for someone to, to sit back for a moment and go, you know what, maybe there's a reason why this is happening a certain way, that takes some thought. When you have your phone in your hand and you read something, 99% of the time the person's not going to take that moment or two and think about it or try to put themselves in the other person's shoes. They're just going to start typing whatever's the first thing to come to their mind. And more often than not, it'll be a form of criticism.
1: It's also really hard to um, give nuance in 140 characters.
3: Yeah, th- that is very true.
1: It's it's hard. I mean, so when you see someone, they may not be able to explain themselves right, or you may not be able to. But, um, you know, I mean, look, I, I'm not always a fan of reading academic papers, but there's a reason why academic papers are longer than three sentences long, because
3: <laughs> it, right. it requires mind, some thought. Absolutely, we have to keep in mind too that everything we see on social media that's written by an individual is really just a snapshot of of their thoughts. Or something going on in their lives or a situation you know whether it be something at the grocery store or a restaurant or something with their family it's that brief little snapshot and they put that on for the whole world to see and then we as a society get to look at that and we have the ability to comment on it and it, it, it's so easy to default to the negative side of, of what we're seeing even though it may not be negative at all or again we're just seeing that that one tiny second of a photograph. And we don't know what happened a minute before it or a minute after it. And we don't know. And the person didn't share that. So we're misinformed to start with.
1: One more. Uh, Social media is making politics impossible.
3: Wow. Uh, Yeah, I don't think too many people could uh, disagree with that. Um, I think that lends itself to the fact that There needs to be, I believe anyway, with politics, there needs to be a little bit of a separation. There needs to be uh, a filter between what politicians think and what they say. And I think that that could actually apply to anybody. You know, it's just because you think it doesn't mean you should say it or do it. (laughs) And that filter is gone. And I think uh, in the case of the United States, the last administration, I think they, they were aware of that and chose to um, sort of hold back or or use individuals to to kind of uh, disseminate that flow. But uh, today, the United States has a president who is quite content with saying whatever's on his mind, Uh, whether it's on his mind moments after he tweets or, or he changes his mind or his actions don't reflect that. It doesn't matter. So what's there to believe?
1: It is, uh, just before I let you go, uh, totally unrelated, but maybe related. Uh, There was a poll that's out today in Canada that seniors say they have a higher sense of satisfaction with their life than every other age group in this country. That older people feel better about where they are. They feel happier. They feel more content. And I was going through some of these things and they talk about you know, relationships and everything else. But I can't help but think that this cohort of seniors, the, the people who are over 65 right now, are probably the last group that didn't grow up, was not fully enveloped in social media all through their life. And I can't help but wonder if there might not be some connection there that they may have better real relationships than the rest of us who our relationships are often online.
3: Yes, I'd be interested in knowing too how many of those individuals... Uh, you know, what portion of their day they spend in the presence of other people that they actually talk to versus, you know, people in their perhaps 20s or 30s, you know, how much of their day are they actually in environments where they're having quality conversations?
1: Mm, interesting. Mark Gordon, marketer, expert, speaker, social media expert as of today, I guess. You've always been that, but <laughs> even more so today. Mark, I appreciate the time. Thanks for doing this.
3: Thanks, God. Take care.
1: It's, it's Look, it's an interesting discussion because I think we all as we said off the top, have felt at one time or another, I've got to get off this. Facebook is killing me. Twitter is killing me. It's ruining my soul. It's eating away at my psyche. Every day I go on there and all I do is get angry at what is being posted or disagree. And yet we don't do it. We go right back to it. And I'm going to make a point over the next break that I am not going to check any social media and you know what? It's going to be hard because we do it. We do it every time. Any, anytime there's a break in our day, something's not going on. Oh, I better check Twitter. Oh, I better check something else. Oh, I better check my email. I wonder how much happier we would be if we didn't do that. If we were able to not do that because we are all terribly, terribly addicted. At least most of us are.
3: You're listening to
2: the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML.
1: The topic that is going to be I believe what everybody's going to be talking about tomorrow for good or for bad, for angry or for happy or for enraged or for... I don't know what's the step after enraged. Rick Zamperin hey, joins me in studio today. Insert Rick. word
0: here. Hi, how are you?
1: Uh, good. And by the way, I gotta—I—I—I I, I have to wish you a very happy National Watermelon Day. Really? And a National Grab Some Nuts Day. <laughs> <laughs> I, I assume I, that's for uh, the legume variety.
0: I'm a big cashew fan, yeah. <laughs> so I will partake uh, later on tonight, perhaps uh, just before the fifth quarter.
1: You know, I'm just thinking that the nut lobby might have wanted to come up with a better worded <laughs> National holiday the National Grab Some Nuts Day. Wow,
0: that's uh, interesting. So if you're allergic to nuts, is this uh, a day you can take National
1: off? National Run From Nuts Day.
0: That'll be tomorrow. <laughs>
1: <laughs> National Anaphylaxis Day. Yeah. Uh, thankfully, the well, hopefully the EpiPen crisis we talked about yesterday yeah. gets resolved before then. Uh, Rick is in here for two reasons. One, because he is hosting the Scott Thompson show starting at the top of the hour, and mm-hmm. I thought, uh, he doesn't need any time to prepare. No. I we mean, come would, on. We'd give him a break.
0: Preparation Radio is uh, probably uh, number 10 on the list of things to do. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but num- the real reason he's here is because the Cats play the Montreal Alouettes today. And, you know, people around here, Rick, I think Cat fans obviously want the Cats to win. But that's not the story. The story will not be, I don't think, what the final score is. Mm-hmm. When you do the fifth quarter after the game today, I'm guessing that the first call, the second call, the third call, the fourth call,
2: and the and fifth, on sixth, and on and on, on. Yeah.
1: will all mention one name. Yeah, Johnny Manziel.
0: Yes. Um, he's going to make a CFL debut tonight, not with the Hamilton Tiger Cats, as uh, we all know. Uh, he was tra- uh, traded a couple weeks ago to Montreal. So, you know, the team that brought him, that, that did all the legwork... I met with the commissioner, Randy Ambrose, to make sure that he was allowed to play here, got all the contract stuff out of the way. Told Rob, us that he might be the best CFL player yes, in history. June Jones making that statement uh, b- before even signing Manziel. And and now that he's in the league, they uh, lo and behold, they trade him to Montreal, an Eastern Division opponent. Two weeks have gone by, and, and now they're meeting at Percival Molson Stadium. So, I yeah, I mean, everyone tonight's going to be talking about Manziel leading up to the game, during the game, after the game. And of course, on the fifth quarter, we'll certainly be talking about him.
1: Uh, we're going to get into it, but uh, let me just throw out a, a prediction, and I said this before. If it turned out, and I'm not really expecting this, but if it turned out that Johnny Manziel just has an unbelievable game, shreds the TICAD defense, mm-hmm. you may as well cancel all other programming <laughs> over the rest of the night. I heard this, yeah. Get a warm cup of Ovaltine and sit here, because <laughs> you will have callers yeah. till daybreak and yeah, then it'll beyond.
0: Be, it'll be probably the most epic fifth quarter since since the 60 to 1 debacle (laughs) because that one was off the charts i mean our podcast downloads of the fifth quarter after that game were just and still to this day is is a record so tonight might be you know if manziel goes out and throws for 400 yards and four tds and montreal wins by one point or 20 or whatever the case is uh yeah Ticats fans are gonna be irate
1: what happened let's go through some of the scenarios here Okay. okay you've got that scenario where the montreal wins and hamilton fans go berserk yeah Johnny Manziel plays really well, but the Ticats end up winning because Montreal is such a bad team overall. What's right. the fan response in that case?
0: I, I think the fan response in every case is going to be how did Manziel play versus how did Masoli play. So if the Ticats win and Masoli plays horribly, let's say they get a couple of defensive touchdowns, they eke out a 23-17 to 17 win. Uh, and, and Manziel plays well, I think most fans will be thinking, you know, we should have kept Johnny Manziel and, and traded Jeremiah Masoli. Uh, and the same case is, you know, if Masoli plays unbelievably well and Manzel plays horribly, there's going to be those fans thinking, yeah, okay, we, we like the trade, let's move forward with Masoli. Or...
1: Jeremiah Mazzoli should play well, because he's yes. been in the league for three, four, exactly. or five years, and this is Manziel's first game.
0: And, yeah, he knows the playbook. Manziel's been with Montreal for two weeks. He's got a limited knowledge of, you know, the the, the three-inch high playbook that he has to ingest. So, you know, the expectations for me for Manziel tonight is kind of that game manager, that Trent Dilfer kind of Baltimore Ravens, you know, manage the game, don't make any turnovers don't make mistakes when you do uh, make sure they're they're limited in terms of damage and points off turnovers which for Montreal it's great news because Hamilton is the only team in the CFL this year six games in or at least six seven weeks in that have not scored a point off a turnover so if he makes mistakes Montreal you know their defense I think is is good enough to kind of mitigate any damage
1: you wrote something on your blog this week and I thought it was bang on and that is I think Jeremiah Mazzoli played in a Rose Bowl did he not yes And he may someday play in a great cup game. I'm not sure that on a personal level, he will ever be in a game that there is more pressure on him personally Mm -hmm. to perform. Because in most people's eyes, again, there are two teams playing. I think for most people, this is a referendum. This is a one-on-one battle. And Jeremiah Mazzoli has to be better than Johnny Manziel.
0: There's no doubt. You know, when when Manziel was with Hamilton, you know, I, I think Masoli felt a little bit of pressure, as do all quarterbacks, knowing that, you know, there's a talented guy or a couple of guys behind him challenging for that starting job. It's really no different than uh, any workplace if you are you know the, the boss of a department or a supervisor and you see this up and coming young whippersnapper you know trying to take your your position you're going to take note and that might put a little bit of pressure on you you can turn that into a positive obviously uh, but again the spotlight on Masoli tonight is humongous because he's supposed to be the better quarterback he's played in the big games he's been with the team for a while you know coming off that nine straight 300 yard uh, consecutive streak that, that tied the CFL record He's supposed to win. The TyCats are supposedly a better team than Montreal, who's you know in that rebuilding mode. So if he doesn't come out and perform, there's I mean there's a whole set of questions right there. But uh, that, that's a lot of pressure for him to deal with.
1: When was the last time you used the word whippersnapper on the air?
0: It might be the first ever. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: okay, so you're Montreal, or sorry, you're Hamilton. Then mm-hmm. you know Johnny Manziel, yeah, because you've run uh, he plays against him in practice. Everything else. What does your defense not want to do? And I don't mean they don't want to give up points. I I, I know, I mean, the end yeah. result, I know what we're talking about. Johnny Manziel's game from college, and now it's been a long time since he played, but mm-hmm. his game is he's got, he's got happy feet. He can run around. He can make things happen. If you're Hamilton's defense, what do you do to make sure that you can contain Johnny Manziel best you can?
0: You, you said the word contain. It's contain, contain, contain. Contain him to the pocket because when he's there, you know... You know what his capabilities are. and You know where the shortcomings are. When he's out of the pocket, your your defense is more apt to break down. Any defense, really, is more apt to break down because that coverage is, you know, looking over its shoulder. Where did the receiver go? Where is he going to throw the ball? And I'm sure Montreal is going to capitalize on, you know, his skill of throwing on the run and, and kind of improvising. Once you get into that improvational, you know, uh, scheme, uh, you know, it's hard for defenses to play catch up at that If at that you're
1: point. Hamilton... Do you want to be sending pressure? Normally, with a first time, a rookie, first time, first game starting quarterback, yep. you want pressure because you want to speed up the game. Yes. And he doesn't find his reads as quickly. But in this case, do you want to be sending lots of pressure? Because the risk is those guys get into the backfield, mm-hmm. Manziel now steps up and he's got wide open field to yep. run in. Is yep. there a risk of that?
0: There certainly is a risk of that. I think for Jerry Glanville, the defensive coordinator for the Ticats, he has to really throw a lot of different things at Manziel. You can't just simply, uh, you know, rush him uh, and uh, you know pin your ears back and, and try to go get him every single play. You have to really mask some uh, defensive uh, coverages, uh, play man-to-man at times, play zone, uh, blitz. Uh, y- you can't be predictable. And if Manziel senses that, or if Montreal senses that offensively, they'll they'll take advantage of it.
1: It's impossible to say, so I I know that I'm asking you a complete hypothetical, but what are you expecting tonight?
0: I'm expecting the Ticats to win, number one. Uh, I think they're just, uh, on paper at least, the better team. Now, we said that against Saskatchewan, and the Rough Riders swept the Ticats this season uh, in, in a closely fought game, and then one that wasn't so close. Um... It is a road game, so it's always a little more challenging to win on the road. But, you know, this team has played well on the road, this team being the Ticats. As far as Manzel and Masoli, I'm expecting more of the same from Masoli. You know, what we see is what we get. Uh, I said towards the end of last season and even the beginning of this season is that, you know, he's won me over in terms of his capabilities. We know what his ceiling is. I don't think he can go greater than what he has shown us. But what I want to see is a little more consistency out of him. Uh, for Manziel... I really don't know other than to say I think he's going to scr- struggle at times tonight. I think he'll make a couple of plays. I don't think he's going to be outstanding, and I don't think he's going to embarrass himself. It'll be somewhere in between, uh, but I don't think he's going to perform well enough to get the win from Montreal.
1: Best case scenario for Ticat fans with that matchup. Best case scenario and worst case scenario with that quarterback matchup. What's the best and the worst situation?
0: For the Ticats? For, uh, the, for, for
1: the fans who are going to be calling you oh, after I see the you game.
0: I, I think... From a fan standpoint, I I would think that they would want to see both these quarterbacks uh, just explode because it'll further the debate. Uh, It will prove to us that Manziel can play this game because we really haven't seen it. I mean, he he hasn't taken a snap in a competitive game since 2015 when he was with the Browns. Uh, So I think we want to see whether or not he can play this game, and I think we also want to see that Masoli can rise to the occasion and say, yeah, I'm the guy here in Hamilton. Uh, Our franchise made the right decision in trading Johnny football, Uh, but I think from a fan perspective they want to see both these guys just kind of light it up.
1: That will be on the fifth quarter. So right after the game today, tune here to 900CHML. Rick will be on. Mm -hmm. I have no doubt that one way or another, the phones will be lit up. You will not have to be giving the number out too many times.
0: No. Uh, It's been, you know, this season and even all of last year... Uh, win or loss, the fans have come out, so it's really nice to see them You know, interact on the show, whether it's tweeting or emailing or calling or even on our Facebook Live page now that we do uh, during the fifth quarter. So, yeah, uh, call in, tweet. Uh, love to interact with CFL fans. Got a few more minutes, and mm-hmm. I want to
1: ask you about this, because last night, one of the ridiculous CFL games you're yeah. going to see, uh, Toronto and Ottawa. Toronto's down, what, 25 points 20, in the third quarter? 24 points, yeah. 24 points, come back and win. Yeah. Unbelievable. If you watch that game... It's hard not to be a fan of the league and oh, yeah. the style of play and everything else. However, Rick, it was in Toronto, mm-hmm. and there were fewer people at that game. I'm trying to come up with a good simile or <laughs> metaphor here. Um, there, yeah. are, there are birthday parties that were held in Toronto <laughs> yesterday for six-year-olds that had more people showing up. There yeah. was nobody there. Yeah. They I, announced 11,000. There was no way there was 11,000. There was, 11, there was
0: no way on earth there was 11,000 people there. There were maybe 11 people there. <laughs> uh, I mean, literally, there was probably a, a couple of thousand. I would say 5,000 tops. That might even be stretching it, which is absurd to think. Um, and, and I can make a lot of excuses You know, that, that Toronto still is in, in, the, in the hierarchy of Toronto sports. Uh, the Argos are at the bottom rung, which is probably true. Number number two, it's a week night, you no know, Thursday night game. But again, it's the summer; kids aren't in school, uh, and I know people work, but still,
1: the Jays aren't good this the year. Jays That's aren't not an excuse.
0: Leafs haven't started yet. Uh, Ottawa's you know a good team. Uh, you know both teams have you know some some star players. So it's it's really disheveling to think that you know the, the response, especially given the final outcome and the way that the Argos came back and and you know what a showcase for the league it was. Few people saw it
1: two years ago. Well, leading up to two years ago, when they move, when the Argos moved to BMO Field, this was the missing ingredient. If they could move out of Rogers Centre, move to BMO, all would be well. We have seen numbers for Argos games, Planet. but they're not going up. Yeah. And I think they're going down. This, I, I mean, I, look, I don't want to. The game was fantastic yesterday. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be a downer on this. I don't see a healthy Toronto Argonauts franchise, and I don't see how this franchise continues to just in perpetuity go yep. on like this. I just don't see it.
0: It, it. It's strange because, you know, you'd get about eighteen to 25000 at the Dome for any particular game, and it's a lot less at BMO Field, and I thought, you know, this was the right move, you know, going to an outdoor we facility. All did. It's, you know, you got some fresh air, you got great sight lines, easy to get to at the yeah, you know, exhibition right there. Yeah, plenty of parking. Uh, you know, you get a, a great downtown scenery as well. I don't Subway
1: know what, stop is right there. Right there,
0: yeah. I don't know what the answer is in terms of how they turn it around, other than to have a good product on the field. But even saying that, you know, these are the defending up champs, and no one's coming out to watch. So what more do you want? These these guys hoisted the trophy last year, and I know Ricky Ray's not on the field, but still, there's some guys on that team that are that are really good. Yeah, but I
1: just don't believe that folks in Toronto are sitting at home going, "Oh, I'd go to the Argos," right. but Ricky Ray's not playing. So sure. I'm not.
0: Well, they didn't go last year, and he was playing. I I, I don't. I
1: wonder about the hell. I mean, this is not a good situation for the league. We've yeah. always had this debate about whether the CFL can survive without a Toronto team. Rick, th- the the safety nets seem to be gone except because mm-hmm. this was the last one. I don't well, we may find out the answer one of these days. I,
0: I think the big safety net for the Argos is MLSE, you know, because they're so successful with the Leafs and the Raptors, uh, are they willing to take a little bit of a haircut with the Argos? It, it's not a huge haircut, but still, I guess there's some personal pride with the likes of Larry Tannenbaum and, and, and you know, guys like that. But, I mean, how long can you carry on like this? I mean, it can't be much longer. Well, it
1: also looks atrocious yeah. for the league. Yeah. It looks atrocious. When you turn on the TV and you see the players run on the field, they they try to hide the camera angles. Yeah. They try to shoot down as much as they can. But yeah. the times, that, there's nobody. There, it looks awful.
0: You can see it on kickoffs and punts especially when you get kind of a quick glance at... At, at the uh, the seating and uh, yeah nobody's there and it looks just abysmal. It looks like a high school game.
1: It does. And it well it looks like the Vanya Cup a couple of years ago well, yeah. in Hamilton. And yeah. if you are a fan at home who's watching and you see that, there is no incentive to go down exactly. to that game.
0: Yeah you don't want to be there. That's not a, a place to that's not the event. That's not where people are congregating to you know cheer on the earth. Are there any
1: other right now? Is the is the league in your mind generally healthy or are there other places that you have concerns about I mean Montreal yeah. I really believe the Manzel thing, in part, was man. There's not a lot of people here. We got to find something.
0: I think I think that was a huge part of it because yeah, the uh, you know the the consecutive streak of sellouts for the Alouettes has long since passed. Uh, you know, there's still a lot of people that go to the games. It's not a Toronto-like situation, but still, uh, they were looking at what their team was doing on the field, and they thought, man, we can't lose our grip of the fan base that we have. Let's do something. Let's create a spark. Uh, and Manziel going to create that. You already see a lot of number two Manziel jerseys with with the Alouettes already in the stands. And we'll see a lot more tonight.
1: Funny how Montreal has become Toronto, isn't it? <laughs> it used to be that the <laughs> yep. Leafs stunk, the Jays yep. stunk, the Argos stunk. Now, mm-hmm. you know, TFC is a champion. The Leafs are on their way up. Yeah. I mean, the Jays stink. Raptors and Montreal, the Canadians yeah. and the Alouettes, yeah. sports fans in Montreal are not. Shaking their heads. Not having a good year. No. Let's put it that way. No. Rick will be up. At the top of the hour, hosting the Scott Thompson Show, as he has all week. And again, tonight, right after the game here on 900 CHML, the fifth quarter. I would be reasonably confident in saying that tonight will be must-listen radio.
0: I hope so, yeah. Oh, it will be. I'll make sure of it.
1: Excellent. (laughs) Drink heavily before calling. Rick always likes it when (laughs) you're... Kool-Aid, please. Kool-Aid.
2: The Bill Kelly Show.
3: Weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.